Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. Steve, that was so moving. Living Nations, Living Words by Native Americans Henry Rilbert, M.L. Smoker, and Neela Northson. It was excellent. And we've seen Mandy before. I think it was in the keynote address. Yes. And we did grab her, and her interview is coming up now. One of the things with Henry Rilbert, I heard him, and we can cut this one if you want, I heard his was extremely moving. He was very emotional, and he used some of his native language in his poem. But he compared the U.S. government giving the Indians blankets with smallpox with COVID. And one of the things we certainly heard, and I I think we also heard it from Mandy, was that there was a lot of Native American hospitals on the reservations that didn't even have ventilators. Right. And Henry Rilbert's poem was extremely moving. In fact, he started crying in it because he lost his brother and he lost so many people in his family. You just felt like you felt his pain, didn't you? You did. Yeah, it was. I can't describe it. So Living Nations, Living Words, um, that got us Mandy. And we're really excited to bring Mandy in. And Mandy's interview follows. And a great big welcome to the Art Box podcast to Mandy Smoker. We're so honored today to have Mandy Smoker come and talk with us a little bit. She's a former Montana Poet Laureate. She's also an educator and advocate who works toward better outcomes for Native American youth. She was appointed to the National Advisory Council on Indian Education by President Obama. She's also an Emmy-winning film consultant for her work on the PBS documentary Indian Relay and a recipient of numerous fellowships and awards co-author of the children's graphic novel, Thunderous, and author of the poetry collection, Another Attempt at Rescue. And I was telling Mandy a little bit earlier that her poems just pierce the heart. So thank you for coming. Would you tell us a little bit about your poetry and your life? I started, I've always been a writer and a prolific reader um, as a young child. I thought I wanted to be a journalist. I just really loved talking to people, having conversations, learning about new or interesting things that are going on, or finding the story, finding a narrative that's really compelling and interesting. I, in my 20s, discovered the genre of Native American writing, and in particular Native American poetry, and that, I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) It wasn't like a, didn't seem like an option to me as a kid. And so finding Finding those voices, finding those people that many of them, like Joy Harjo, who I got to read with uh, yesterday, inspired me. And then I got to enter into this 
whole new world of of literature. Every it's like a family. Everybody's welcoming and and great with one another, and lots of relationships built within this. Native American writing community that I really, really value. And you were also, you said you taught school for a while. How long did you do that? Yeah, I was a teacher and a school administrator um, on my home reservation for several years, then moved to the state capitol to work under a newly funded sort of legislation, but also sort of a mandate to improve Native education in Montana. And so I moved to Helena and began doing that work, the wonderful team of people around the whole state of Montana. Some of your poems are so touching. When you wrote about Native American women who are missing and their souls were the shard, what'd you say, the shards of glass? See how your poems affect me? I think about them a, a long time, the shards of glass there along the route of where all these missing women have been. Yeah, I really still writing poems is somewhat of a mystery to me, even me. I tend to connect with real events, people, places, memories that I just sort of, they, they become really significant in, in my mind. And that particular real, the missing and murdered women, indigenous women's epidemic is really obviously weighs on a lot of us. It's it's almost too big to write about. And I feel like some of my topics of my poems sort of feel like my way to sort of chip away at some of what can feel really overwhelming or can cause a lot of anxiety and stress and worry. And I feel like if I can really take take a moment and hone in and use those details like you described the, the shards of glass as a way to sort of paint that picture, then it, it really helps me sort of map everything out and piece it all together. And the other thing that you wrote about that really struck me was the relationship of some of your ancestors with the white settlers who felt that they were closer to God. And I can't remember exactly how you said that, but it struck me. You know, it's just, there's a very complex and difficult history in the United States and in the West. Knowing my ancestors endured a lot for me to be able to be here. There were many things, not just religion or spirituality. There was education, you know, was really meant to to break apart Indian families and Indian communities and take away young Indians' identity and, and sense of self. So, you know, so many different things happened in history that, again, when I write poems about those, I feel like I'm able to sort of capture just a little bit of that narrative that we don't talk enough about. And so that's really important to me. Right. And, and I can see that with your poetry. I wonder if you would like to share a couple of your poems with our listeners. I definitely can. So I wrote this book of poems actually a very long time ago, 2005. They were part of my Master's of Fine Arts and Creative Writing thesis. I love my publishers. They're um, based out of Brooklyn, New York. But because I have my job, which is to travel around and help schools and tribes and communities that still want to improve education for Native students. I do that all around the country. And that all of that work sometimes makes it hard to get back to poetry and really find the time and sort of the, I feel like that pulls at a different part of my brain sure. and a different part of my psyche and mm -hmm. it, it can be exhausting. So I'm working on a second book of poems right now. 
hopefully we'll have that out in another year or so. But this is the title poem from my book, and it's uh, called Another Attempt to Rescue. The time is important here, not because this has been a long winter or because it is my first at home since childhood, but because there is so much else to be unsure of. We are on the brink of an invasion. At a time like this, how is it that when I left only a week ago, there was three feet of snow on the ground, and now there's none, not even a single patch holding on in the shadow of the fence line. And to think I paid a cousin $20 to shovel the walk. He and two of his buddies, still smelling of an all-nighter, arrived at 7 a.m. to begin their work. When I left them a while later and noticed their ungloved hands, winter made me feel selfish and unsure. This ground seems unsure of itself for its own reasons, and we do not gauge enough of our lives by changes in temperature. When I first began to write poems, I was laying claim to battle. It started with a death that I tried to say was unjust, not because of the actual dying, but because of what was left. What time of year was that? I have still not yet learned to write of war. I have friends who speak out, as is necessary, with subtle and unsubtle force. But I am from this place and a great deal has been going wrong for some time now. The two young Indian boys who almost drowned last night in the fast rising creek near school are casualties in any case. There have been too many just like them, and I have no way to fix these things. I will not regret that those boys made it home or that the cousins used the money at the bar. Still, there are no lights on this street, still, there is so much mud outside that we carry it indoors with us. Thank you. Yeah. Your poems, I have to listen to them like five times or more because every time there's something else that comes up. I feel like and, they are layered uh, and yes. that, that's not something I really intentionally do, <laughs> but I do. I feel like there are various ways for them to be interpreted or for someone else to really engage with them mm -hmm. and I like that I, I really appreciate that because you know you don't want to be put in a box as a native writer a western writer a Montanan you know you want you want you hope that I put a lot of effort into every single poem into every single word and every line and just to know then that they they do they work they go out and they have a life of their own when other people experience them that's that's really special. One of the presenters today at the show we went to earlier with you, his name was Joe. What's his last name? Realbird. Henry Realbird. His story was so moving. We were sitting back there crying, all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and he compared COVID to smallpox from years ago. And I know COVID was especially hard on Native Americans. A lot of Native American died. Americans died. Yeah, my brother died from it too. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I just knew when it was happening, when COVID was happening, I think about, I know our hospitals on my reservation. There's two. They're very small. I thought, they're not even going to have a ventilator. How is this, how is this going to work? Uh -huh. And literally, you know, there was just... And they did they didn't. It's interesting sidebar. Henry Realbird's family, the, the land that he lives on is um, 
where the Battle of the Little Bighorn took place, just adjacent to it, Mm -hmm. not right on it, because you can't, it's a battlefield (laughs) national monument. My great-grandma, her name was Looks Back, she was five at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. She really? And her father, she was obviously a Lakota, and we were fighting against the Crow um, with the Cheyenne. And her father, Black Moon, young Black Moon, he died there. Just, just remarkable when I think about Henry and our... We've known each other forever, since I, ever, I became a poet. How interesting, like, our family stories mm-hmm. are so different, but very connected. Very connected, yes. Yeah. Last year, last April, my first children's graphic novel, Thunderous, came out. Co-wrote that with one of my best friends, who's non-native, but we had spent all of the time during the pandemic together and our families were fairly intertwined. And I just thought this would be really fun, a fun project for us to do together. And then we had our publisher and we absolutely demanded that we have a native illustrator. And so uh, Dale DeForest is Navajo and just really did a remarkable job in his artistry, bringing the story to life in ways that you can't even do with words all the time. Natalie and I are both poets, and so we really sort of brought that frame of of reference that you're very concise with your language, you're very intentional, because there's not a lot of text on the page in a graphic novel, and so we really had to to focus and hone in on that, as well as, you know, there's dialogue, and so it was, we have a great time together, you know, we, we love laughing and having a good time so we really wanted to incorporate that into our dialogue and make it meaningful as well so that's out in the world and doing really well i just hope that native students in particular can pick it up a see that you can do that right you can write a children's graphic novel if you're native american you can illustrate you can do all these things and it's a contemporary story so it's really important for non-native students to hear those voices and to hear those that type of narrative so that they don't think, oh, when they think of Indians, it's all just in the past. So it's about a young girl right now living in an urban area, trying to find her way. And on that journey, she has to really begin to think of a lot of the cultural teachings that have been passed on to her from her family in order to sort of get through this sort of challenge that she's faced with. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent reading for... It should be over there. Maybe. It's not. It's not. They didn't get my books. I don't know why. I asked. I gave them all the okay. information. I got it there. When you <laughs> leave, when you leave, I'll go to Amazon. Assuming that's on Amazon. It is on Amazon. I'm really anxious, truly, to buy some of your poetry books and the children's graphic novel. I I think uh, I wish they were required in schools. I think we could learn a lot. Absolutely. Now. And I will read your poems several times so I can get to deeper level each time. What's the future hold for you? Well, I'm working on this second collection of poems um, that's actually going to have a little bit of, uh, I've been writing some nonfiction pieces, so sort of some stuff based on my life or my family's life that will be included in that, so hopefully that will be out next year. Uh, Also working on a second children's graphic novel. This is for, the, the first one, Thunderous, is for about eight to 12 year olds. This next one will be like the 12 to 16 sort of age group. Really excited about that. That will be, that one will be fun. I'm looking forward to that. I have a 15 year old granddaughter, so that that'll come out just 
at the perfect time. I hope so. It's fun to explore as a poet to sort of go into other genres and begin to think about how your voice can shift from in writing a poem to writing a piece of nonfiction, right? It's, I can still be poetic in the nonfiction or in the graphic novel. Definitely stretches you and makes you sort of think about new possibilities when you when you write in other areas. It's fun being stretched every day. Learn something new. Yes. Be challenged by something and have a good time. Always have a good time. <laughs> well, we thank you so much for your time today. It was such a privilege for us to be able to thank talk you. with you. Thank you. I thank enjoyed you, it. Mandy. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.